The Brillo Girls is our soapbox filled with conversations about art, life and everything that falls in between. Join us as we navigate and share their stories, celebrating the good, the bad and the ugly. Perhaps something you thought was ordinary is extraordinary. Hi and welcome back. It's the Brillo Girls. It's been a while and we're out of COVID restrictions and needless to say that COVID pandemic has really thrown us in a loop these past few years. And, you know, we're raring to go back with a new season and it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Well, maybe bigger. So make sure you stay tuned and share with us this wild ride with us. Guess where we're going? Where are we going? Bristol, here we come! are back and we're taking the show to Bristol. We're taking part in Impact 12, an international printmaking conference. And yes, the podcast will be an exhibition. The Printmaker's Voice is our theme and our first few episodes of the new season is a special edition pilot featuring three interviews back to back. We are so excited to announce a very special guest host we've had on before, the lovely Emma Stoneman, who will be joining us as our fellow Brillo girls for these episodes. I'm going to miss out, Tony. Oh, Teresa, I wish you were coming with us. So Emma will be there instead of me. I know. And I'll be there in spirit. So enjoy the episodes. The Brillo Girls, the Bristol edition. It started with a conversation, catching up with Laurel, Jim and Antoinette. In this special edition of the Brillo Girls, we're catching up with the organisers of the Thinking of Place project. As it turns out, both myself and Emma are participating in the project, as well as myself being one of the core organisers of the four group team that has been putting this project on since 2015. Together we are joined with the gorgeous Laura McKenzie from Inkmasters Cairns, James Basakos from the Goldfields Printmakers in Ballarat, and our umbrella girl from the Melbourne Printmakers Group. Unfortunately, one other lovely person couldn't be with us today as she is gallivanting around Europe, having a wonderful time, but we'll catch up with her next month, is Prue McDonald from the North Island Printmakers, as we bring these special editions to the Impact Conference in Bristol. So everyone, sit back, relax, enjoy, grab a wine. Let's get the party started. nice to be a substitute co-host. You are a Brillo girl today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, welcome back. And at least I guess this time you'll be on the other side asking the questions rather than... That's right. This It'll be an easier gig, won't it? Asking the questions rather than answering them. Well, hopefully, but we will rope you in because you are part of this project as well. So welcome, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Emma, how do you feel? Do you think we should start off with, let's tell the story of what Thinking of Place began? Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, how how did uh, a group of printmakers from sort of disparate places actually get together and, yeah, formulate this project? That's what I'm most interested in at the moment. So it's a good good place to start, I reckon. uh, It it started with a Greek walking into a pub and came with a Scot, (laughs) an Irishman. You need to change a light globe or? (laughs) No, they just ordered (laughs) beers. Okay, that sounds better. Yeah. And Antonietta and um, Jimmy from Victoria and um, Margaret Jenner and myself from Cairns in Queensland and uh, Prue McDougall and Kim Lowe from North and South Island printmakers in New Zealand uh, connected physically at an impact conference in Dundee in Scotland in 2014. And I think it was at the final stage of the conference during the um, uh, open portfolio section when we were chatting and we just um, seemed to have similar ideas and interests and we thought it would be a fun project to do something that linked our respective print groups together. Mm. And so we just took it away from the conference and um, emailed back and forth a bit subsequently while we kicked around ideas and um, thought about what would be a theme that um, our 
respective groups of artists would be interested in responding to and um, thinking of place in the concept of dealing with location and identification with location came up and that's how the first thinking of place exhibition came about with just those print groups that I mentioned. Back then it was just the five of us wasn't it? It was just like five groups. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And we began, I guess, once we got it all together, a bit of a touring exhibition, which pretty much toured um, Australia and then New Zealand. And then, yeah, I guess we went back into Australia. Well, it showed in each of the locations for the five groups and uh, a little catalogue was published in New Zealand. And so um, it it worked very well. It was received well. And we thought that it had impetus to keep going. So we went ahead and organised Thinking of Place 2, which was shown in um, Santander in Spain at the uh, at the Impact Conference there, and it also had a touring life, and in fact, it's still touring. Mm-hmm. So we're breathing in a place three to Bristol, and this time we went from five groups to I think it was twelve 16. groups, sixteen. Yes, and now we've well, 16 no, no. what was TOP two? That was twelve, I think. I think Santander. Yeah, yeah, that was twelve, and now we've, now we've gone to sixteen groups. Uh, all with five to six artists with each group. So it was a massive task this time around. You can believe 85 artists in total. Yeah, it sounded good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, like, so TOP1, that was purely just an exhibition. TOP2, that was like a print exchange as well as an exhibition. Yes. The exchange idea, I, I guess, just became sort of too big of a task for TOP3, like with 16 groups. That's a massive yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. kind of it's undertaking just, for a small Not just the organisation of it, but, mm. you know, the number of prints in the editions that, mm. that would have been quite mammoth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. It was Huge. crazy. <laughs> Last time, just doing, a, I guess, an edition of 20. And with that, it mm. brought its own sort of little problems, coordination and getting artists working together and, and submitting things on time. And we didn't want to put that pressure again, the thinking of Place mm-hmm. 3, considering it was such a huge group number coming this time. Being quite amazingly uh, growing and growing, which like a bit of a phenomenon in a way. originally... Thinking of Place 3 was going to be shown at um, Impact in Hong Kong, which mm. itself was postponed for a year. But we opted not to take part in that because a number of the artists were, it was during COVID, as you know, and um, a number of the artists were unable to get to their studios and their workplaces. And uh, so there were delays and it was just, you know, too much pressure to get everybody to produce their work in time for Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So we were ready this time. So do you think COVID has played a huge role in the getting everyone together in this, you know, thinking of place three? Only in so far as I just mentioned, there were there were delays. We had to keep extending deadlines because of people's particular problems. But only one of the original groups, there were originally 17 groups, um, and only one of them actually dropped out due to COVID. And that they were from a country that was particularly badly affected. Mm. So I think it was pretty remarkable that 85 people had undertake their uh, commitment and complete their editions and send them. So, so can I ask a question then? Um, what countries are involved in that in those sixteen groups in top three? Gosh, can you rattle them off the top of your head, Tony? Um, <laughs> well, a challenge for you. Uh, Melbourne <laughs> group. We've got the Melbourne group. Uh, Ink Masters. Goldfield, yes. there's Kamloops in Kamloops in okay. Canada, the Big Ink, uh, Big Ink in United States, yes. Symposies, uh, Symposies, that Argentina, no, that's UK group, UK, sorry, and there's, <laughs> no. so there's really Island. sort of groups. There's yeah. really groups from Australia, New Zealand, UK, Turkey, Ireland. Ireland. Yep. Uh, there are three groups from the United States, two groups from the UK, Argentina, you mentioned. Um, there is uh, Perspectives, which is coordinated by someone in Guam, but it has artists from Poland and Denmark, the Fornem printmakers. That's quite a um, diverse group of people <laughs> to be sort of talking about the one theme, yeah. you know. That's what I kind of find really fascinating about the whole project is that, you know, I mean, I know thinking of place, you know, place connects us all really, but, you know, you get so many different um, viewpoints um, 
just based geographically of how diverse yeah that whole group is. Um, I found last time the thing in a place too there was a, quite a, a few overlapping ideas between mm. people's work in the type of imagery they use. But with thinking of place three, I think this time I found everybody's work to be quite different. Everyone had like a different uh, sort of vision or voice that they're putting through their prints. The one voice that they were putting through throughout was how they dealt with their practice through COVID. And uh, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. You know, some of the works are very beautiful. There's a mixture of traditional works with digital imaging. There are a few little bit sort of like uh, mixed media works. But Laurel, you're probably the best at the moment here because you've actually seen the whole TO3 exhibited in Cairns and you've seen all the others, obviously. Laurel, what was the reaction from the audience once um, all the works were up on the wall and ready to be viewed? Well, I think because the works, each individual piece is quite small, um, it requires the audience to get up close to look at them. And we we exhibited them en masse at um, Northside Gallery in Cairns. But people were very intrigued to see different print processes, you know, a lot of different print processes up close together. And they really, you know, they got in there and studied the work and looked at it and interrogated it, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people commented on that diversity. Of course, there's diversity in style and technique and approach and content of the work, but um, the audience, I think, was really interested to see such a wide range of print processes and, as you say, combinations of print processes. I guess, too, probably should mention that didn't actually put many restrictions on the artist, you know, who participated. So basically all the works were... uh, 28 by 32 in size, like a quarter of a sheet of a... 38. 38, sorry. And they could actually do anything they wanted in response to the theme. And, yeah, so it's it's amazing the call out and the, what the artists have put forth. It was great. So really the only restriction really was it's on paper, it's of a certain size, and it just addresses the thinking of place theme. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Pretty much you can do anything within those three restrictions, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We did invite people to think about um, myths and stories and legends, um, Mm. ideas that are connected to their particular place. And I think it's interesting to see how some of those stories, even though from different parts of the world have some degree of overlap and that was quite an interesting dimension to their responses, I think. So that was a sub-theme, wasn't it, if Mm. the um, TOP3, the legends and legacies kind of sub-theme, I suppose, underneath that sort of thinking of place, bigger picture, broader context, yeah, which I haven't seen many of the works yet, but um, (laughs) I can already sort of see some of the works, you know, really directly responding to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's quite eclectic. Speaking of groups, let me start with you, Jim. You have a couple of other groups uh, under your guidance. Uh, Firstly, you have the Goldfields Printmakers, which is part of the TOP3, but you're also involved with Soldiers Hill, another sort of collective. Can you give us some insight into how you became involved in these groups? Um, It's pretty much the same as what happened, um, I think it was in 2011, when we were at Monash, uh, Impact seven was there and um I'm, i i met you for the first time in a long time there mm-hmm. tony yeah yeah no <laughs> it was funny wasn't it <laughs> away for paul mm. it, it's sort of a um and that was a sort of only been a uni lecturer for just a, a couple of years and at the time a few years and that was the first sort of major print conference that i uh, attended mm. uh, i didn't really have much of an idea about that kind of um scope of conferences at the time, and then when it when it came to um, uh, to the forefront to me when I was at the um, at the time University of Ballarat, I, I wanted to go. So when I got there and I listened to a lot of the uh, presentations, saw the exhibitions, there was really obvious there was a connection between groups and large groups, a, a collective of of printmakers going about, you know. Uh, presenting at this conference. So I, I for one, and in Ballarat, because I was new to Ballarat at the time, I was of a Melbourne person, that's my background. I thought, you know, how, how can I contribute to the landscape? How can I contribute to the print world, you, you might say? And then uh, in 2012, I put a, a call out to the printmaking community. I knew, I knew a couple of maybe two or three printmakers down in Castle, Maine, not many at all uh, around Ballarat or, or the, or the Goldfields regions. So I put a call out um, through an email and lo and behold, that sort of started to get traction. 
And I had a, um, uh, we, we did a meeting at one of the um, artists, uh, Jackie Gorings, um, who's a golf of printmaker and a well-known printmaker around Castleman and Dalesford. And we went to their, um, went to her studio and appeared was um, a number of printmakers who I had no idea who they were. They didn't know me. And here we are with all this food <laughs> because mm-hmm. food brings people together as well, not just yeah. art. Mm-hmm. And um, we just started talking. We just started a conversation. And I think, uh, Laurel, going back uh, to what you were saying about um, meeting in Dundee, we started with a conversation. Mm. And that and that conversation was, where are you from? How did you, you know, where do we belong and so forth? And I, and I guess from thinking of place, that's where that name sort of appeared was about we came from somewhere. Mm. And, and you're right, um, Emma, it's a geographical kind of, placing of who we are and where we come from so the golfers printmakers you know I, I sort of said to them that uh, and there was no name there was still no name of golfers printmakers um and i just said to them like uh, i want to go to dundee i want to go to scotland i want to take a portfolio of work from you guys uh what do you think and it was almost like gobsmacked it was almost like you we how how what is happening here mm. so i sort of discussed this idea as a collective discussed this idea of, of of sort of somehow a bond you know like a a, a, a group of of artists to get together and put workshops together and it just flowed it just mm. happened everyone got involved everyone jumped on board everyone participated uh from that we started a website from that i took a golfers printmakers to scotland I also took it to new zealand where exhibited at mark mark ravers uh, studio. Uh, he also met us at Monash and met us up at uh, Dundee. So there was this really nice collective been going on ever since. So we're having also a Golfers Printmakers exhibition uh, at Bristol in the UK. So that's a separate project, as well as five of us are involved in thinking of place. Mm-hmm. Jim, what are you presenting with the Goldfields? What work? Um, we're presenting the print mark in the garden i think it's a there's a garden theme i remember it printmaker imagination or printmakers yes printmakers imagination garden or yeah, something like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so we, we've done that because again we're, we're responding to the pac 12 theme mm. um there are many things as we all know um and one of them it was that how does it affect us in COVID has affected us in somehow and a lot of us and you hear it on the radio a lot and a lot of these talk back uh radios back COVID at the time People were getting, you know, engaging themselves and 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 exploring their own gardens, you know, walking into because we couldn't walk out in the street, you know, we couldn't go shopping. Everything was sort of locked down and closed down. And people really responded to their gardens, whether it was, you know, you know, producing uh, vegetable gardens or just getting into nature, going for walk. And it was very therapeutic kind of time. So we've done that as a response and we're still, I think a lot of the artists are still responding to that. As Emma is, yes. one of the Goldfields printmakers. I was going to say, I have to put up my hand and say I'm, I'm a member of the Goldfields printmakers as well as the Melbourne printmakers group. But, yeah. Um, Jim just poaches all my um, both camps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you can belong um, so to both. So he just poaches. <laughs> so we're responding so we're responding to that theme and 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 it was a very warmly embraced in one of our latest meetings that we we had up in um dalesford that we were going to go down this track and at the moment i think everyone's doing that work but just touching just touching base on the uh soldiers hills artist collective it's not a printmaking collective it's just an arts collective and that also started with a um a conversation. A lovely lady called um, Lynn Makings and her husband Ken. They're much older citizens, and I guess what who we are. They would walk a dog around the neighbourhood, and they were a sort of art. She was an artist doing her course at the university uh, at Federation University at the moment, at the time. And she was as she walks around with the dog, she got talking to a lot of people and noticed there was a lot of artists within the within the precinct. Um, Soldier Seals Artists Collective started. And we've been, you know, exhibiting and uh, responding to the city of Ballarat creative art strategy uh, in so many other projects. We've got a committee, incorporated. We're getting funding. Things are moving along, and that again just started with a conversation. That's it. Who who wants to participate? Who wants to contribute? And I think there's a real sort of connection there between thinking of place, uh, golfers, printmakers, the Melbourne printmakers. Um, and all these groups, and I'm sure, I'm sure we don't know. And this would be interesting when we go to Bristol is talking to these groups and saying, 
have you pushed on? Have you moved on with your group and invited other artists? That would be quite interesting kind of um, conversation to have. Do you think it is about what do you think it is about printmakers that seem to come together, be happy to join? I mean, we're a very unique group, really. So you don't see a lot of painters or sculptors forming these sort of collective advantage for artists to use print to get together to share facilities. Um, in particular, you know, it's it's not always easy, for, especially for young people who've recently graduated to have their own equipment and their own space. And so shared facilities are, are almost a necessity. Mm. Um, but it's also quite good, even if you have got your own facilities, to work collaboratively with other people. I think um, print process lend themselves to that. So, you know, there's a bit of a, an advantage in joining together and working together and also showing together. I'll go a little bit more than that, um um, Laura, I, I totally, I totally agree with all that. I, I think it goes down personally, you know, going through university, um, doing my studies and actually watching the students work away in their own, and you know, in our studios at Fed Uni. There's a, printmakers are very democratic, aren't they? Yeah. very democratic. Yeah. And I mean, um, so, so, you know, you've got a couple of presses, right? People are there printing. Then, you know, people are waiting for others to print and, mm. and having that sort of almost that uh, water cooler syndrome, you know, where you've got that, you know, people go to the water cooler to get their water and then they talk to each other. It's almost that coffee idea. It's almost like, you know, people get a coffee, they talk, you know, they meet, they get, they gather. And, and I think the printmaking press is a gathering area. It's not solo. You know, uh, especially in the sharing area where you're saying there, Laura, we get together, we look, we, you know, you pull the print off or whatever you figure off, whatever it is, silk screen, etching, you pull it, everyone's, oh, wow, how'd you get that? I mean, and then there's this talking moment. There's a, there's a chatter, you know, I really like that. How does that work? What, what do you do here? You know, I see it in the, stu- I see it in the university um, with the students who are doing printmaking like in some of the courses there. You don't get that in painting. You don't. You don't get that in sculpture. There's no sort of not. It's almost a misdirected, collaborative kind of chatter. You know. Yeah. Um, I think it probably comes from process, doesn't it? Because the only other kind of medium, I guess, I can think that that occurs in is ceramics, and it's sort of the same thing. Not everyone has their own kiln. Um, you know, it's yeah. opening the kiln door, pulling everything out, having a look at it, having that discussion when you know when you when the work you know, is suddenly apparent in front of you. So it's sort of that same thing, isn't it? It's sort of almost like through the process of making art in that way, that's where the conversations kind of occur and that's where the collaboration occurs and and that connection with each other Mm. rather than the isolation of painting or or perhaps sculpture or something. Yeah, or or working, working in an area or working with mixed media, whatever it is, working as a, and, you know, printmakers work as a solo um, have their own studios as well, but there's also that collaborative kind of mix. You know, you may invite another printmaker in. There might be some shared experiences in that way. And as Laurel pointed out, we have these sort of we have these shared experience by print exchanges. I mean, how easy? I mean, what other medium mm. could you could you think of where you could like, for instance, I'm also a committee member of the uh, Print Council of Australia. There's a September exchange they do where they 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 come up with a bit of a formula of a certain print of a certain size, fits in an A A4 envelope, yeah. and you send it. I mean, you send artwork through the post, and then somehow, somewhere, that appears. All the envelopes are open. There's mm-hmm. a shared experience of putting all the works together, and you get a send out of other people's prints. I mean, that's a wonderful exercise in itself and it's so exciting getting that parcel as well yeah, and like absolutely. opening it up and seeing what you've got and yeah absolutely so yeah. i think on that process it is sort of a very democratic process that we 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 go on whether it's a print exchange or whether it's working within a press uh, a shared experience a shared sort of environment in a studio I'm not sure if there's other any other disciplines that have that. Jim, do you think it takes a lot out of your own practice to, you know, facilitate and and put yourself out there with all these groups that you're working on yeah. or working with? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm sure you can advocate and 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 Laurel can advocate for this. It, it it takes, you know, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of um, a lot of commitment. 
mm-hmm. and a lot of um, organisation about um, getting something like this started and then moving it forward and putting projects together. It does, I think, at times take away from your own work. Look, I enjoy it. I love it. I love being part of a collective, part being part of a group. I think having uh, being part of a group opens up more opportunities. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with Ink Masters. Oh, okay. Um, Ink Masters began with one um, local artist, not me, who um, applied for a grant, got some funds, and she coordinated a portfolio. I think it was a group of 10 local artists who had print as part of their practice. And uh, she invited each of us to make two editions of uh, prints, which were exhibited in a number of regional galleries, uh, this portfolio of prints. And after that project had finished, um, 10 artists got together and thought it would be a good thing if we could formalise the group and continue on working as a group and invite others to join us. And that's how Ink Masters was formed. I didn't um, come up with the name. It was the last on our last our list of 10 choices we ended up with. Um, but it's grown since there. We've, we've got 100 members now. But sadly, Ink Masters is in the process of winding up right at the moment after 11 years uh, because of the, well, it's the burden of administration. You know, we were a formally constituted group and perhaps we brought the burden partly on ourselves because we we got uh, designated grants, recipient status and charity status, which requires, you know, another level of reporting and uh, record keeping and so on. But also... Right at the beginning, we sort of got thrown in at the deep end. There was someone working for the regional council who had the great idea that we could apply for a Festivals Australia grant and initiate a festival of printmaking. And we thought, oh, that's a nice idea. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, (laughs) we got the grant (laughs) and it was huge. It was just a huge project that grew and grew and grew and uh, uh, that's Inkfest, and we've been doing that every second year since 2012. Mm. Uh, really, it's such a huge thing that as soon as one Inkfest finishes, we have to start planning the next one, getting the funding and getting everything in place, the venues and so on and so on, sponsorship and um, and support. So it's a really big deal, and it became um, quite burdensome to administer it. And of course, nobody really likes doing administration. All of us would rather just go on with doing our work, mm. um, our artwork, I mean. And so, really, it came to the point where there just wasn't a new generation of willing people who would take on the administrative burden. You know, it could have gone on very easily and, and very well because, as I say, we have 100 members. Mm-hmm. Um, we're well facilitated, but we just don't, we just lack people or, alternatively, the funds to pay someone to do that administrative work. Is, um, is Ink Master, uh, no, is Ink Fest part of Ink Masters? Like with Ink Masters Ink leaving, is. does Ink Fest leave as well? Or will that continue? Well, I'm not 100% sure about that because Ink Masters, um, under its constitution, it has to gift its assets to a like organisation. Mm. And Northside Contemporary Arts um, is, will most likely accept our assets. That's not just the funds in the bank, but the equipment, the presses, the materials mm. and tools, mm. uh, and a fairly large print collection that we've assembled as well. Mm. And they are quite keen, I think, on continuing ICFEST in some form because it's built up its own momentum, you know, it's an international exhibition, a big community event and so yeah. on. Um, I think that it might continue under North Site in some form, maybe not as big as it has been. I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, fingers crossed because it's it's been quite an institution. I mean, 11 years up there in the yes. far north Queensland, it's, yeah, yeah, be momentous really. When we started, we didn't have a space. We operated out of borrowed and rented spaces. That was fine. It worked okay. But again, it's a lot of hard work, you know, to find spaces and uh, to run workshops and 
classes and those sorts of things, which is, you know, a big part of our um, function has been start professional development, skills development. Can I ask a question here? So I'm just going to jump in just out and be part of the one of the hosts now. <laughs> no, you can oh. jump in. It's all about conversations, Jim. Welcome, Jimmy. Hey, Laurel, for the community, it would have been, it would have paid dividends. I mean, huge dividends about, you know, one thing that people don't, realize is who realize but a lot of the average kind of joe out there would think an art community oh yeah we just you know do a bit of painting a bit of drawing you know a bit of print whatever that's a little community but you know a community a collective like that would bring so much joy mm. uh bring community together mm. a, a nice connection uh people meet people there's a sharing of knowledge and ideas but also from an art sort of therapy kind of point of view of just people just wanting to belong in a space. I mean, maybe you can, maybe for me, because I'm seeing a little bit here, could you elaborate a little bit on that as well? Yeah, that's been a really big part of our, our operation, the community aspect of it. You know, there's a big community event that's part of, has been part of Inkfest called the Big Print. And we have, we send tutors out to remote communities, you know, right up to the top of the Cape and various remote um, Indigenous communities, running workshops, producing a huge vinyl or lino cut, you know, one metre wide by two metres long in some cases, and then bringing them all together and then inviting the community to join in the inking and printing of the prints and the display of it, parading it through, you know, a community event in itself. And the last one we had um, dancers and musicians and it was just a huge, you know, it was the, the epitome of a community event, the vast number of people, the ages and abilities and so on who took part. So it has been very beneficial to the community and uh, I think our regional council recognises that too. They've been very supportive. They weren't initially, but they have been. Um, they've grown to be. They've even come around to thinking about culture as a, as a destination. People don't want to come to Cairns just to go to the reef and the rainforest. They might mm. actually like to visit galleries, do some <laughs> cultural things. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's been a slow dawning, but it's happened. So it's a familiar story in a lot of small community groups, isn't it? That, you know, there's sort of core group of people that do the work in a way to sort of keep the community group going. And, mm. and it's often the case that the admin burden becomes too great that you see like great community groups dissolve because you know the burden is too great on a small group of people and think masters yeah that's obviously that's what sort of happened with you guys too and and it's a real shame because yeah it seems to have benefited so many people and it's benefited printmaking in Australia as well so it's sort of a a shame to see it unfold because of that yeah I agree and I'm sure there's enthusiasm there for it it's just you know that impact of time and as we've talked about before you know most people would just prefer to do their own art practice rather than sort of get caught up in the administration or bureaucratic work um, behind those groups. We also lack uh, an institution that's training a new generation of visual artists. So we Mm. don't have a cohort coming through, you know, people who are willing to take up and learn a bit about the administration, which can be useful in one's practice as well. Yeah. Um, yep. But that's, that's absent, um, unfortunately. So, so we think Master's coming to a close. How do you feel the state of print in Queensland is going to be? Do you think there's going to be a huge demise and in people's interest in wanting to learn printmaking? I don't know. It, it depends on how Northside um, operates the space. They're taking over the lease on our building. I believe they are. They've applied for the lease. Um, um, if they continue to operate, if they continue to live, deliver workshops and classes and things of that sort, I think they are committed to doing that, um, then it could continue to kick on and um, evolve and expand. Well, hopefully, keep our see. fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to a bit to the impact conference. Uh, so tell me, what are your thoughts about participating in unique conferences such as impact? Well, personally, I think it's um, it's a fantastic opportunity just to meet with other people who have similar interests and 
you know, the exchange of ideas, those conversations that take place that Jimmy was talking about. Uh, it, it's uh, the opportunity to see a lot of work in one, one place at one time. All of that's a beneficial thing and I enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and yeah, no, I am too. From my point of view as an educator, you know, lecturer at the university, it's a good opportunity, as we all just mentioned, there's a networking between artists, but also to be uh, informed by practice or the journey as an art method or the discipline mm-hmm. that we are all pursuing to bring those skills and knowledge back into a class or to other artists within my staff environment to inform mm-hmm. them about how print has evolved. And we also in, in a very kind of world, don't know much about what's going on in the world, but what I hear by other practitioners and educators across the world going to this impact is traditional art or traditional printmaking forms are starting to maybe dissolve a little bit because we're trying to push on to more future ways of presenting contemporary printing practice. Mm -hmm. And these discussions need to be had. And where do you do these discussions? Where do you Mm -hmm. have these discussions? I would think uh, impact is a benchmark of print media or print making where we can have these discussions between educators, researchers, practitioners, curators, you know, these kind of people who can 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 inform our practice, discuss where print is going. So mm. I bring a lot of that knowledge back to the university where I put up a an argument and say, print practice needs to continue within the course or within uh, the, you know, the visual arts course as in, as in total and not mm. just to think of, printmaking as a traditional method and so it has got a future and mm-hmm. has moved on so where do we go so from mm-hmm. my point of view i push back not push back i put forward the argument mm-hmm. to the owner to say well if mm-hmm. we want to move forward we've got to look at digital printmaking mm-hmm. we've got to look at 3d printmaking and keep the traditional methods because there is needs to be that history and that connection so from my practice and i think from a lot of the educators that i talk to in in impact we are having these struggles and as we just said in yourself tony is where do we bring those new print related students you know, through. Yeah. How do we do that? And this is why, where impact gives us knowledge. Why do you think we always have to push these arguments across? Oh, I think it's general. <laughs> I think it's general. It's not it's not printmaking. I think it's art generally. Art in general, uh, yeah. Uh, you okay. know, art generally. But 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 you're right, uh, Tony. In in print, you know, it's not renowned, is it? It's not like sculpture or painting, who has, has had this historic, mm. you know, it's got a, a significance and prestige. Mm. And so printmaking has evolved, you know, down the track. But, but look, you but, know, when you look at, um, end, has- no, you look at Rembrandt and Goya and Picasso, yeah. you know, Rosenberg, Rosenquist, Larry, yeah. you know, the American, all of them, they've had some in relationship with print. And I always used to say that once you taste print, you always go back to print. <laughs> But not so necessary. So if you um do it with painting or you know sculpture or even ceramics, you may try ceramics, you may hate it. But I've always found that even if people leave print, they always come back to it somewhere in their life in, in whatever form yeah. it is. You know, so there's a uh, I guess a unique quality about it that you can't actually put into words as artists. There's something to go back to and and use and utilize and create. Emma, I want to ask you something. I've been a, a contributor in my Melbourne group and being part of I'm thinking of play. How's it been as a you contributor? What's what your what's your feelings in um, participating in these group exhibitions? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, really positive. I guess for me, it probably goes back to what we were talking about before. But you know, I'm an artist that works primarily in isolation. The beauty of being involved in a project like this for me is actually to be part of something bigger than my own art practice, and actually to be able to be part of a group and and connect with other groups and other artists. You know, there's something really nice about yeah, just being beyond your own art practice. And for me, yeah, thinking of place, I guess, you know, place has always sort of been a part of my artwork, but actually honing in on that particular theme has been really, you know, been really kind of great for me to sort of think about. You know, place was sort of always there in my artwork, but sort of as a peripheral thing. So it's kind of nice to bring it to the fore and just hone in on that. Can you describe the work that you made? GOP3, what it looks like? or Yeah, just describe it. Yeah, whatever you like. Okay, yeah. So, well, basically it's a, a print that's gridded into two 
there's a sort of uh, an apocalyptic kind of sunset in it. Buildings have always been part of my artwork. There is a building, but I guess it's sort of become less of a priority in this particular artwork. It sort of sits a little bit more in the background. And that's probably because what I was thinking about for the work was more, I guess I was thinking about that legends and legacies sub-theme of TOP3. And I kind of focused in on the on the legacy aspect. So I was really thinking about, you know, climate change and COVID as being these two sort of just significant parts of our current time Mm. and, you know, the legacy of that, where it sort of sits in history. So I guess that's sort of what is sort of driving this work a bit. Laurel, can you talk us through a little bit about your work that you put in for TRP3? It's a bit atypical for me, uh, being during COVID and not being able to go very far and just enjoying walking every day and looking at the sea and the sky. It's quite therapeutic. I've been taking a lot of photographs of the sea and the sky Mm. and I was thinking about how I could reflect on that as a particular place and my place in it. But I was also reading a strange theory by an artist who was trying to teach a method of depicting landscape and he had um, published a whole lot of little drawings or etchings or dry points with written descriptions of the clouds and the sea. And uh, they're kind of mundane descriptions, like darker at the bottom and lighter at the top, that sort of just direct description. But the writing was quite beautiful. And so I thought about incorporating that text into the sort of subsumed image of sea and sky. Yeah, no, it's lovely. And it's printed onto metallic paper. Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, the sky kind of crept into my artwork too for for a similar reason. So during COVID I was off walking every day and I'd sort of collected this like a COVID diary of skies you know each day I would take a photo of the sky and just sort of watch it you know like over that whole sort of lockdown period and and you know those times where you know you couldn't really do much except for just sort of wander around your own neighborhood. Was there a reason why you printed or used metallic paper Laurel? I just wanted the sea in the sky to come through in a, underneath the text in a quite a kind of subtle way. So mm. I haven't used it before or since, but it seemed to work for that image. No, I think people will be quite impressed in all the works there, really. Jim, tell us about yours. What influenced your work? I think in a place three. More or less, my work is a continuation of the journey as a printmaker through various stages of working with the Docklands and looking at identity and a sense of home, sense of travel. One of the things that's uh, come to the forefront for me is a bit of story of iconography, looking at things it hasn't come into my work yet but may may well do but looking at you know going to the church down where i used to live in south melbourne uh the orthodox church and looking at all the iconography of of the saints and and gods and you know the the biblical figures and um the iconography for me was pretty much things from uh my my parents homeland which is in Kos, which is in southern uh parts of greece where tony visited and had a look around. A beautiful place, beautiful place. I recommend it. <laughs> Gorgeous. And, and I've been to the Greek and islands sea. and it's absolutely beautiful. So, I was transported uh, to another world. <laughs> so, you know, looking at those parts of where my parents came from and looking at what they would have seen when they came to Melbourne or I, I guess, uh, you know, where had they seen Melbourne move on with times with, you know, things like the Westgate Bridge and the Docklands and, and, and things like fishing and the basic stuff. These are, for me, have become a bit of a storyline. And so, so my work has that kind of storyline in it. So I'm looked at what we were trying to achieve or trying to respond to regarding to Impact uh, 12 and Hong Kong at the time um, was this sort of myth storylines and legends so that was my response Um, connecting worlds and going back I remember back in 96 back into Greece you know touching base in Athens or touching base in the island knowing where my roots were from I'm starting to blend a lot of these worlds and creating my own myth storylines so that's sort of the bottom line of what my work was incorporating parts of different worlds and are they um are they Greek columns in in that work? Yes, um, they are. That you did? Uh, yeah. Yes, they are. And Tony visited this area called Ascion, was a very an area Italian where, area um, <laughs> of Greece. <laughs> <laughs> if I go there, Tony, Tony, Careful. Tony and I, <laughs> Tony and I had podcast for that one. <laughs> um, Tony, Tony and I had this sort of. Um, 
very funny argument about, uh, 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 you know, about where Asclepion was and what had happened there because the, um, the Italians occupied our uh, island for many, many years, maybe a couple of centuries. And I kept saying, it's Greek. And she's like, no, it's Italian. And I go back in my art history and say, well, the classical period, mm. the Greeks made all this happen and you stole our artists. She said, we no, just we perfected it. We just perfected <laughs> everything we put in there. <laughs> So we settled that they perfected mm. the coffee better than us. And that was about, yeah. <laughs> then we went on and had coffee. No, it was was a kind of moment being in those areas and, and, and seeing historically these these wonderful, you know, areas and, and how I can bring that back, my, my parents' land or my parents' homeland, how can I bring back, you know, that into the docklands and, and bring in back what my parents saw and what I grew up with? You know, I see the Westgate Bridge as my, you know, Asclepion or my, my you know, the pillars and, you know, mm-hmm. the boats as, as also part of that travel and identity and, and things like that. That's what I brought into, the, you know, the impact. And it also touches base into thinking of place. Think, as you mentioned quite well uh, beforehand, Emma, about that sort of geographical kind of sense of being a part of place and thinking about me connecting with these groups and talking to these groups at, at impact when we're in Santander and saying, where do I belong? How do I participate and contribute to this story? Is that your um, artwork, Tony? Oh, I thought yeah, I might get, Tony, get out of it. <laughs> can, can we ask uh, about that? Out of that? <laughs> it's not really that much different to Laurel and your experiences. And, and I guess a touch on gyms as well. I guess through COVID, again, you know, we were doing a lot of walking and you know, try as best as we could walk, you know, in the restrictions that we had, because Melbourne had quite high restrictions compared to the rest of the state, I mean, uh, rest of Australia. And yeah, I used to do walks along the beach. For me, it was more the water. I was sort of documenting a lot with the water than the skies. I was finding myself, I guess, following the same footsteps. I'm going, where am I going? I'm just going round and round in circles. And it, and it basically turned into, you know, the long and winding road that was beautiful in some days and ominous in others and yet you know there was that hope that this was going to get better and my use of circles came back and the added um, element of actually drawing on the paper and it was more like my own frustration that we couldn't get up and moving and going back to normal. I do yeah. find sometimes working on a small scale you know space a little bit difficult I always tend to spread out and this time I felt like I had to try and contain myself so space for me and thinking of place became more of a spatial issue. How can I contain this or have some control over what's sort of happening outside of my control. Yeah, well, I was I was just going to ask, like across TOP three, across all of the artists and the prints, is there a common COVID um, kind of theme that's emerged? Um, it's come through, through in a lot of the prints, and certainly in a lot of the other statements, um, they referred to their experience of COVID. Yes, okay, that's a strong theme. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised because you know it's been a pretty big momentous thing that's yeah. occurred. Um, yeah. And it's happened worldwide. And, you know, you it's know? affected us yeah. globally. Exactly. Yeah. Jim, you've also got a solo show. It's wonderful to have a have a solo show at Impact because, as you well, you guys know, it's it is the benchmark for print. Can I call it print media? Because there's a print media or print making. You know, whatever, whatever you like. I like you the. Know. Okay. Some people okay. say tomato, um, some say tomato, you know, like. Um. <laughs> I like print media because because it is so open. Print print is just, you know, I, I did a, a just, just quickly, I, I did a uh, first week of the semester and I, I'm teaching printmaking to one of my, to a, a group of second years. And I go from the historical print to, remember, remember Tony and Laurel, I'm not sure everyone you were there, uh, but we went to Santander and went north to, um, uh, to the caves, to the mm, Almira yep. yep. Altamira caves, and they did this wonderful presentation. And I and I start off with this slide, and just quickly, I'll just break it down quickly. Mm. I started with this slide and said, I went there, you know, mm. and when they blew, they blew this sort of you know ochre and pigment and water, you know, you know through a tube. And there's handprints in these caves that we went through. I mean, it was quite extraordinary that print, you know, stencil printing was there at the same time as drawing and painting, you know. Um, and, and then and then as I go through history of an overview, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, I went, you know, there's nothing there as a presentation or I took from the web. I just based it on my experiences of of print. So Goya and Hermes Bosch and all sorts of oh, Hermes Bosch. Um, 
sorry, uh, Goya and um, uh, Rembrandt and so forth, mm-hmm. going through print and Warhol, et cetera. And then I got ended up at the end and I just went 3D printmaking, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and, then, and, then, and then I had these sculptures of figures. Then I had a house and I said, where does print go? And everyone, all the students just like, oh, wow, is that a print? I said, I don't know. Is it a print? <laughs> you know, and, and everyone was just like, and so the, it started off a conversation. So my point is, is it printmaking or is it print media? Are we moving into, you know, new areas? That's another discussion in itself. My own artwork is what, I, what I've done is it's called metamorphosis, merging metamorphosis. So what I've done basically is looked at what I've got within, you know, as artists look in their own backyard, uh, I looked at the university and I have an interest in ceramics because some of the ceramics works of some of the students do is, is quite outstanding. And I had a wonderful lecturer, a colleague of mine called Peter Pilvin, and he's a well-known uh, ceramicist in regional Victoria, but also across Australia. So what I've done is some plates, basic plates based on uh, Greek iconography again with and I've silk screened images on them metamorphosis kind of ideas in iconography as well as doing some a whole range of monotypes that work together as a, a cohesive story myth kind of idea and that only came about was that I've just joined the last four or five years uh, to the Greek Australian uh, Council Committee being able to be part of their identity and participate in their exhibitions and talking to them, there's a whole lot of poets, people who write books, researchers, painters, jewellery makers, and I've had that open experience with them. So with that, you know, again, being connected and community and all the collective, all that kind of things that we talk about thinking of place three, I've joined a committee there or a group there, story through that. So that's what I'm doing. Well, that migrant story, that story speaks to thinking of place. You know, completely. So, you know, completely relevant to what we're talking about with thinking of place as well. So, yeah, and I guess you, um, Tony and Jimmy, both sort of share that. There's a sort of a displacement in both countries, you know, the country that you're born Mm. in, the country that you now live in, the country that your parents live in, and also a comfortableness Mm. that you feel in both countries at the same time, but also displaced, if that makes any sense. And a a lot of migrant people, I think, feel it, and it's very hard to articulate exactly. It's just a feeling. But I know when I go home to Italy, you know, the smell of the place feels like, oh, you know, I'm home. But yeah, at the same time, you know, Australia, parts of it, you know, the smell too makes me feel like I'm at home too. So, Jim, I know this may sound really funny <laughs> and I'm not sure if he's made not it clear, color, but yeah. the work that you are submitting is on uh, the ceramic plates that have been slightly mutilated. You're not going to do a performance there where, you know, Emma, you said I forgot the punchline. <laughs> Yeah, you cut out right on the punchline. I know. I thought it was all about smashing Greek plates or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, no smashing Greek plates. These are artistic plates. <laughs> Maybe that's dummy ones. Been, there have been stories where people go to restaurants and start smashing, you know, the crockery and everything mm-hmm. else, and uh, the waiters are coming out going, no, not those plates. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> They're the good ones. Tony can probably be a part of this story too, is that when when we went to COS, and I, you know, I've been to the Parthenon, I've been to museums, and we've all been to the NGV, and you, and you see the beautiful, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, plates from the classical Hellenistic period, whatever period, and you see those beautiful plates with, yeah. you know, um, motifs and, and storylines and, you know, the warriors and depictions of stories and so forth. You know, and that's what I was trying to create. So I was trying to look at ceramics from a traditional point of view, looking at ancestors, you know, what do you want to call it, mm-hmm. or from a historical point of view, create, going through the process of creating a plate. And then what I tried to do is silkscreen contemporary images 
uh, my own stories, my own myths. Um, and then one of the lecturers just laughed and said, well, you can bury these plates and then in, you know, 50 years, uh, someone can bring them back. They, oh, look at these stories. Yeah. Done at the and I just sort of went, no, nah, I don't. Yeah. I think that's one of the nice things about putting works for impact is that you can still work in a traditional media, but you can yes. try and do something a little bit different and get a conversation going that's, oh, you know, it, like you said earlier, is that print or how is it related to print? or And to also see other people's ways of working with print and to see it all in one place is quite eclectic. Yes, you know, going to Bristol, I haven't been to the UK, so I'm quite excited. So you've got your own solo show there too, Tony, as uh, part of Impact in Bristol. Yeah, it's uh, called Cultivating Hope and it's a, it's a funny story actually when I was doing it because um, I was in the process through COVID uh, moving house, uh, selling house and moving and and as a child, my mother used to have geraniums everywhere and I really couldn't stand the plants, to tell you the truth. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, when I got my own home, um, I thought, oh, you know, the geranium plant doesn't look that bad. It's quite nice, actually. And then, <laughs> and then I discovered certain geraniums had an amazing smell and I wasn't sort of like a... This, insipid smell that I used to remember you know so I then started finding well you know it's funny when you start looking at something everything starts popping up geraniums were popping up everywhere and then I started becoming quite a bit of a species you know sort of uh, forager if you know what I mean and and then when I moved to our new place even before that I started seeing geraniums popping up at everyone so I don't know the cultivating hope is a little bit about you know memory with um you know my mum you know starting a new life giving that Again, that feeling of hope. The humble plant can, um, you know, regerminate. It could be dead one day and then, you know, geraniums are back flowering and looking beautiful and smelling fantastic. So I did this, well, I'm working on this war piece just about finished and it's basically got to do, oh, well, it's a crazy piece. You probably won't understand it, but geraniums are actually flouting out of two uh, sort of naked, uh, not they're not naked, they're... Um, <laughs> silhouetted bodies that idea of being consumed of power of flowers and smell to sort of I guess leaving and starting a new area or going into a new area but also in the middle panel I have an old sort of copy well I copied it uh, from an old garden of Eden again surrounded plants and that idea that yeah there's light at the end of the tunnel I guess there's hope yeah well yeah. That sounds really interesting, Tony. Mm. Mm. I yeah, kind of like that idea too because geraniums are one of those plants that, you know, you just take a little snippet of, a tiny little snippet, you yeah. can take it anywhere, put it in the ground and it'll pretty much grow anywhere. Yeah, it's so like it's a of, weed, you know, I guess. A nice, yeah. Yeah, so that sort of yeah. Yeah, ties in quite nicely yeah. with your um, theme as well. And I guess too the, the work is in layers. I've loved ever since, we, you know, Emma and I had a show a few years back where you use etymological pins, you know, to pin up works and... Ever since I was introduced to that, I've sort of somehow found pinning to be like a mapping, you know, sort of thing. So yeah. all the geraniums um, is sort of attached to the work. So you'll have three levels. There's the flat level of the, you know, base layer, I guess. And then I've got two others that I've printed on uh, silk and uh, organza. So there's like a see-through element and a, where I've pinned. And, and it's that idea too, as you walk by, you know, you might flutter a little bit of the geranium sort of thing so it's that idea of could be alive but you know it's not it's still dead you know it's all, it's all 2d really <laughs> but you know what i mean it's just that sort of that idea of fluttering that you may see something did it move or didn't it move i like that little bit of audience i guess you know second look at something yeah, that sort of ties in with memory as well you know? yeah yeah yeah, Mem yeah mem memory is a, a shifting thing isn't mm, it exactly um, yeah yeah so. uh, but Look, I know everyone will take something different from it and that's what I sort of like about, you know, working in print and sometimes you may think the obvious but then when you have like a second look it offers something a little bit different and, and I'm hoping in doing it in a layered form that that gives off that sort of, you know, a few sort of, um, what do you call it? You know, of what it could be actually, yeah. Instability. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the beauty of impact really, isn't it, that, you know, you can... You know, there's a lot of sort of experimental works or um, mm. different ways that printmaking is sort of um, portrayed and and mm. that's the place for it yeah, yeah. to be um, discussed and 
interrogated a bit more. And it's really good. Everyone sort of gives you um, really constructive feedback. And I think that's the beauty of the impact. It's not mm. just seeing traditional printmaking, which I, I still, you know, always mm. love seeing the old, you know, um, etching or lithograph, mm. still screen. It doesn't matter. Mm. And uh, but you see, you see it reinterpreted and, and in so many different ways. Whether it's from a group or whether it's a collective or it's a solo, you know, big, small, whatever, the way. And that's what's the beauty of going there, looking at our disciplines and methods and going to a place like Bristol, which is the centre of, a bit of a centre of research in print. I mean, the UK, they've actually... Um, uh, pride themselves on that they so much in that area, which is great to be there, you know, to yeah. see all the printmakers or print media across the globe. Yeah, no, it's spot. good. Laurel, I just want to ask you, well, sort of, um, congratulations because you've just done your PhD and some of the work that your recent work is sort of based, I guess, uh, on a combination of collage in images. Do you want to sort of talk about your background of how you came to creating such images and, how, and why you use them in your work? Collage, I think, goes back uh, a long way in my practice. I use different print media and combinations. The thematic um, link in my works is they're all basically feminist works. They reflecting on some of the strategies of second wave feminism from the late 60s and 70s and the effectiveness or otherwise of some of those strategies. A lot of them were discounted. They were almost disparaged because they were caught up in some theoretical debates where some strategies were labelled as essentialist. But I actually think that some of them were, were very effective and not necessarily essentialist as they were dubbed. And so I've been looking at how some of those strategies can be revived and all to do with the imaging of women and uh, historically and, and in contemporary advertising and so on, popular culture. But uh, looking at how those um, historical images can be parodied and using humour to you know, highlight the stupidity, frankly, of some of those images. Yeah, yeah. And, and collage, it lends itself very easily mm. to appropriation and recombinations of images, recreation mm. of images mm. from the past, mm. and, and, and trying to inject that element of parody. And I've noticed too, most of these are done as pigment prints, you know, archival pigment prints. Is there a reason why you chose that medium and didn't choose something more traditional? Um, currently, they are, they're, they're most digital prints, yes, but I, in my, my PhD work was printing onto all sorts of surfaces, including little calico dresses I had a, in a, uh, an installation. They were digitally printed mm-hmm. with collages. Sometimes the collages begin as collage on paper that I've scanned and then manipulated digitally. So sometimes they just... You know, they're done entirely in the computer. Yeah. Well, I guess, Emma, that brings up that, uh, our other question, you know, um, about digital imaging as printmaking. You know, do you think mm-hmm. we've always had this conversation? Do you think the Australian public is becoming a little bit more accepting of, you know, pigment prints, or do you th- still think there's a reservation? I don't know. I think mm-hmm. there's still probably a little bit of confusion about what an original print is. I'm sure there's confusion about it in the general public and mm-hmm. perhaps even the relatively sophisticated art buying public. It's really clear what an original print is and what an archival fine art print is. So it's to be expected, I suppose, even exists within the printmaking world. I think yeah. I guess, yeah. like that, yeah. um, there is still a pushback against digital print 30 or more years after it sort of, you know, really kind of rose to prominence in printmaking. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that across the broader um, population there's an issue with it when it sort of still is a bit of a issue within yeah. printmaking itself. And then, you know, there are people who are exploiting the opportunity to reproduce artworks. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. In multiples mm. of calling them limited editions. Yeah, right. yes. you know, yeah. That's really uh, muddying the waters yes. for, for fine yeah. art print. Definitely. Yeah. Tragedy. I've got no problem. I, I think it bring it on. You know, anything mm. that's got to do with, you know, mark making in such a way that can be interpreted as print. I love the impact conferences because it it challenges me as an educator and as an artist to see things like these sculptural forms from 3D printmaking, you know, these these plastic 
printers that you know overlap and overlap and overlap and layer and layer and layer to create this 3D whatever it is, whatever you want it to be, whether it's a house or whether it's a figurative kind of work, and call it a print. You know, it's it's it's, it's incredible. You know, um, and then when you go break it down to what is a print, and you have an edition, talk all the idea of what edition is, and reproduction, and all these kind of things. Well, you know, digital print is now. It's what's going to happen in the future, and this is where I think print media you know, comes into foreplay as as a word to be used as what we do because it is moving forward it is um, revolutionising what print is I mean we ignore it this is what these uh, theorists and educators and researchers do when we go to these conferences explore what print is yeah what about you Emma have you oh I think yeah for me probably digital print I mean that's where I'm at Um, and for me I just love the manipulation that I can do with that either whether that's to an image or just in the in the actual print outcome I suppose but it, it has a for me, there's a subtleness that I can create in an image um, through digital print that I probably can't create through any other means. And, you know, the layering aspect of an image as well that I just really love. So for me, whether it's on paper or, you know, I've printed on all sorts of other different materials as well. But, yeah, that's that's where I'm at <laughs> in, in the printmaking world. I've been doing it for a long time. So One last question before we sort of tie it up. What are your future works? Are you doing anything in the pipeline after MP? Okay. <laughs> I've got a studio going on. Sony, Sony Silence. <laughs> Sony, I have a studio um, personally. Yeah. Uh, that's the main thing. So, so what's everyone's um, feeling about having a studio? Well, it's certainly nice to have a studio. I don't think it's essential, mm. but it's, it's mm. lovely to have your own space mm. to, you know, to be able to make a mess and make a mistakes. Clean up. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just close the door and walk away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I'm so looking forward to it too. Yes. <laughs> it's like my, my woman cave or something, you know. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's part of it, isn't it? It's yeah. like a, a zone that you can go to yeah. where you can shut out the rest of the world. Yeah. And just focus on, on what you're doing and, mm. and be in that headspace. Mm. Yeah. I think that's important. So yeah. whether it's a, a physical studio space or, or whether it's something lesser than that, but you just be it's just having a place where you can get into that zone of, yeah. of creating artwork. That's mm. that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Especially once you leave uh like say university or high school mm. where you've had that you know studio art environment um yeah the real test comes i think you know having your mm. own place and working and yeah mm. yeah creating. it can be very easy to just let life get in the way of, yeah. of doing all of that so, yeah, yeah yeah so true so true just having a, a physical place to do your artwork actually helps the discipline of you know getting stuck into it yeah, yeah. so would it be safe should i do a shout out if anyone's interested for a thinking a place for <laughs> going to ask about that like where, where where does it go to from here obviously there's been you know three iterations now is there going to be a fourth one i suppose, I suppose it depends on the, the the coordinators in the respective print groups whether they want to take it forward or not i think you know, emma again it's one of those things we work to a certain layers and you know levels you know yes we've got 16 countries now uh, who are involved it's a, it's a massive project of undertaking. Now we'll reflect on that. Mm-hmm. We'll reflect on that and think maybe maybe it was too big or maybe we go even bigger. <laughs> I, I guess... Post-mortem. Yeah, post-mortem. You know, from a collective that I work with, the Goldfields printmakers, there are always artists who drop off mm-hmm. and new artists come in mm-hmm. and they bring a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because that's what it is. Uh, and from the Soldiers of Art Collect that we've got here, which is a group of artists in suburban uh, on, on Soldiers Hill of Ballarat, it's the kind of idea where we just say, it's, it's not incorporated, we are incorporated now, but there'll be artists who move in and out within, so we're keeping it very organic. So even if there's only, we've got 30 people in, on the, our website, on our, on our book, you might say, but in the end, it might be only five, but that's okay. There'll still be a collective, yeah. there'll still be little projects, still be collaborating. So from our point of view, whether we do big projects or small projects, Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that we keep going Mm -hmm. and work and become whatever this thinking of place is.
Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with us, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Brilla Girls. This episode is sponsored by Adam the Flowerman. Adam the Flowerman offers floral styling for homes, weddings, commercial environments and corporate events. Tell him the Brilla Girls sent you. You can find him in Sandringham, shop online or in-store www.adamtheflowerman.com.au Well, it's a brutal ghost.